Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. I'm so excited to introduce you to a very special guest, and her name is Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Maybe you have heard of her, maybe you have not. And I was introduced to her, um, I would say three or four years ago when I was trying to find help for my marriage and what was going on. And I knew I was the crazy one. <laughs> I I was willing to like own that. And I started following her, started reading um, her, her information. And it, and one thing led me to another, which led me to another course, which led me to her Facebook, which led me to her subscribed um, only podcast, which we will talk later. But throughout this process, it has been a life-changing experience for me because I've been able to learn a lot about myself and what was working and what was not working and why in my marriage that we are now, that I am now separated from. When I first thought about asking you to come on to this podcast and talk to divorced women, my first thought was, I must be crazy to ask her to do this because, because your work is around couples that are intact still. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that came up for me was the concept and principle of differentiation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and honestly, I've heard you talk about this before my separation, but mm -hmm. it wasn't until after my separation that I figured out mm -hmm. and what it meant for me to start self-confronting my part and what was mm -hmm. not working. Mm -hmm. And so would you take a moment and define what differentiation is and what it is not? Yeah. Well, um, so differentiation is really a, a word that describes a developmental process that human beings um, go through and some differentiate and develop far further along than others do. Um, when we start out as babies, we are in a state of sort of psychological symbiosis. We don't even know there's a difference between ourselves and our caregiver because we have no perspective that allows us to be self-aware or to know reality outside of our own immediate experience. We're just living in experience. And what development is, is we start to move from just experiencing being to reflecting on or knowing or understanding our experience, but uh, not just enacting it. And so, um, so it's, um, and so as you grow and develop, you move out of that kind of ego state into more awareness of other people, but also you grow out of your dependency on others to tell you who you are, others to reinforce that you matter or that you're safe or that you belong. Um, and so as you grow, you get more able to sustain your sense of self while being in close proximity with others, while being with important others, others that have high impact on your sense of self, including someone you're divorcing, right? Because yeah. they will say a lot about who you are and it matters to your sense of self. And so being able to regulate your sense of self, even with important others is the marker. It's not what sometimes people might think of as sort of the 
I'm independent. I don't need anyone. I'm so differentiated because oftentimes people who are trying to live separately from others are in fact, because they can't manage their sense of self when they're close to others. So it's not about people that are isolated or say they don't need anyone. It's about, I can let you really matter to me and still regulate my sense of self. And the better able you are to do that, the more differentiated. I love that. And I learned this lesson, like I said, like after my separation. And it hit me because I think as I was learning this principle from you, I swung to the other end of the spectrum and I'm like, well, I don't care what he says about me. I don't care. Mm. And he doesn't have to matter. And I thought that's what it was, but it wasn't until really after my, um, during my separation that it hit me what it was. Mm. And I realized that all my growing up years, I, I had a lot of people like praise me for what I did. So I went into the relationship thinking, well, that's what you're supposed to do for me. Like you're supposed to praise me, right? Like you're supposed to tell me how great I am and how great I do this or how great I will be at doing this. And he just wouldn't do it. Mm. And I was like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) And then what is wrong with me? And, um, and that's, and once that light bulb just like went off into my brain, like, oh, that is what Jennifer was talking about Mm, and learning how to regulate my sense of self. Right. That's when things started shifting for me. Yes. Right. So, so, so often when we get married, what we are imagining we're doing is we're locking in somebody who's going to validate our sense of mattering and our desirability and all those things. And like, we're locking in kind of a parent that's going to be a romantic partner, a parent figure. You fill me up, you make me feel good. And that's often what is happening when we're dating, but it's not happening after the honeymoon. And so these issues of self are often front and center in a marriage relationship. Now, of course, as we're going to talk about, they're, they're front and center in life. It's just that they can often get revealed in marriage, just as they can be revealed in divorce. Yeah. Because these issues of self come to the fore. Yeah. So is it possible to begin the process of differentiation in the container of divorce then? Is that possible? Oh, a hundred percent. So, you know, it's often, first of all, it's often in crisis that our brains are the most able to adapt and to grow because the current way of thinking isn't working anymore. And so as much as we hate crisis as human beings, because it just hurts, right? And it's so uncomfortable. It's often what is pressuring us into people that can manage our sense of self better than we could prior to the crisis. So a crisis of divorce is a loss of, of, you know, what you thought was going to be a place of happiness, what you had invested a lot of hope in, where you thought you were going to love and be loved. And for that to crumble is often um, to is disorganizing because you're not getting that validation anymore. And in fact, you may be getting plenty of invalidation, right? They may be even totally. rejecting you more to justify the divorce. I don't mean that the divorce shouldn't happen necessarily, but oftentimes people are almost swinging the other way to kind of make themselves be more comfortable with their choices. And so you're getting lots of invalidation, but also, as you say, you know, like you're starting to see aspects of yourself that contributed to the problem. You're starting to say like, wait a minute, maybe I was too dependent. Maybe I was too needy. Maybe I was asking for more than is actually fair. 
So a lot of times divorce reveals not just our partner to us more clearly, but reveals ourselves to us more clearly. And that's the driver of differentiation. I love that. And I, and at the same time, it is, um, it, it can seem like such bad news. I'm putting these in air quotes yeah. that it is in times of crisis where, yeah. where our greatest growth can happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, look, this, the times of stasis and stability are wonderful. It's when we can relax a bit, enjoy life a bit, but it's true. It's really when the level at which we're operating no longer works that our brain has to scramble to be able to solve at a higher level. And so that drives growth. You know, it's, it's, it's always, growth always happens in discomfort. I mean, it's true. It does. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does. And it, it was, in, it's interesting that as I'm kind of thinking back from like the beginning of my separation, I was still trying to receive validation. You know, yeah. I was still yeah. like, why can't you do this for me? This is how right. it should happen. Like, especially on a legal standpoint, yes. but it wasn't. But then when I realized he's not validating me, he's not giving me what I want, you know, right. and then it was like, then my brain, I think really went into crisis mode. Like yeah. this is, this is really happening. Right. And so when you are helping couples, are there certain questions or tools that you help them to begin to step into the principle of differentiation and for them to learn to find who they really are? And can these same tools and principles uh, and questions be applied to women going through separation and divorce? Yeah. So Yes, they can definitely be applied to separation and divorce. I think, um, so what are the tools? I mean, what I would say is just going back to kind of your your earlier idea around divorce and separation, or when you realize he is not going to give me what I want, really, it's our ability, this is, seems a little paradoxical, but our ability to tolerate solitude, aloneness, mm. invalidation, is directly proportional to our ability to tolerate intimacy. Now, some people may be like, that's not true. I'm, I'm all about the intimacy. I hate solitude. Okay. And what I, <laughs> and what I would say is what we usually are all about is validation and closeness, right? Those of us Got who it. like closeness, we like the approval. We like the affection. We like the sense of being desired, but intimacy is not quite so um, pleasant. You know, intimacy is the tolerance of knowing another person and being known by them. And when you really know somebody and are known by them, there are gaps. There are places of disconnection, of invalidation, if you let yourself be really honest. Now, most of us in marriage try to mask the parts of ourselves that we think will not be validated or mask yeah. from our own minds the parts of our spouse we don't want to know. Yeah. And so we often collude in the not knowing. But you're recognizing in divorce, like, oh my gosh, I'm alone in this, is really kind of the marker, the met, what do I would say, like the moment that you can learn how to stabilize yourself when an important other, even the same important other you're divorcing, is not going to give you what you want. And how you handle that and what you learn from it and what you learn about life has a tremendous amount to do with differentiation. So going to your question of kind of what are the tools? Like, well, let me say one more piece before I get to the tools is that yeah. one of the reasons why I like doing couples work is not that 
I'm necessarily saying all couples need to be together and, and nobody should get divorced. And the only way you're going to learn this is being married. I, I wouldn't say that ever. What I would say is that partnership is, is an excellent elicitation window. It's an excellent way to see how individuals are functioning because of what they do under the pressure of an important other, not giving them the validation they want. Then you really get a picture of how people handle themselves under pressure, how different, I mean, we can all be very nice, regulated and mature yeah. when we're with people at church or the next door neighbor, as long as the next door neighbor doesn't drive us too crazy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, meaning when we're with polite people, we can be polite and we can look like we're pretty high functioning. The real measure of our functionality though, is what are we doing in the face of invalidation when we aren't getting what we want? And so you can see that well in marriage. Okay. But you can also see it well in divorce. And so the question I'm asking or what I'm often looking at is, is um, how does this person handle invalidation, right? And you know, you're saying, well, I was like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you giving me what you're supposed yeah. to give me? Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's one of your strategies, right? Like, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> how can we make you the right kind of person? Okay. So, okay. Like, believe me, I do the same thing. So this is a very human thing to do. And so it's seeing what am I doing when I'm not getting what I want? And what impact does that have on the relationship? But also what impact does it have on me, right? If I'm trying to get someone else to tell me I'm okay and I can't be okay unless the world is praising me, even if I came by that honestly, because I was praised a lot as a child, I knew how to get it. I liked getting it. Yeah, I'm, you know, using other people to get a sense of self. And I don't want to live like that. I don't want to have that impact on people that matter to me, but I also don't want to be so dependent. I don't want to be so insecure. So it can often drive us into that self-awareness that says, wait, I've got to do this better. I don't need the whole world to be telling me I'm great to feel great. I don't feel good about that. And yeah. so um, how do I hold on to my dignity more fully, even when I'm not succeeding or when I'm succeeding and no one has noticed, <laughs> how do I hold on to a sense of my own mattering without asking everybody else to prop me up? And so that's what it's like getting, giving people a picture of what they do, helping them be less comfortable with it by understanding what its impact is on others and themselves. And yeah in that self-awareness offering a, a, a better way, a less dependent way to handle their sense of well-being. Yeah. And just a couple of things that just came out in what sure. you said is that, you know, in a relationship, you were saying that you are including in those points of your relationship where there is a disconnect or a disagreement or there's- Right. Like, there's often a collusion. It, it's yeah. not always collusive, but yes, often- the definition of collusion and it's what stabilizes immaturity is basically let's, we will collude in, you can indulge your immaturity. Um, and I'll use the fact that you do it to indulge my immaturity mm -hmm. and vice versa. So we will facilitate the worst in each other as a collusion in neither of us having to grow up. Absolutely. So let's say you're what you're what, let's say that you want to, um, as a partner feel, 
covertly superior and that you're needed. Okay. And that's like, okay, you, you, that's the way you feel like you're you is that everybody needs you and you're the secret strong one. Well, then if your spouse is indulgent or reckless or does things that are impulsive or immature, you can just roll your eyes and indulge your immature sense of self while they indulge theirs. I'm going to be the, you know, the, theirs is that I don't have to be responsible. I don't have to grow up and people will just fill in for me. Well, that's a collusive alliance because it's one that perpetuates and you can keep doing your immature behavior while blaming your spouse, right? Yeah. And so it's easy to, um, people very readily when they get married, find somebody that they can do their collusive dance with. Yeah. And what I've learned that that's just part of the relationship and the key is to work through that. Yes. And, and exactly. to see where you are colluding and to be uncomfortable, you know, That's to right. bring out the discomfort. Exactly. That. And ideally letting marriage do what it does best, which is reveal ourselves to ourselves. And, you know, yeah. usually we take those revelations as what's wrong with my partner rather than what's wrong with me. Um, but the more we can be looking at, wait, how am I a part of this problem? You know, that doesn't mean you change your side and your spouse is going to necessarily grow up, but how am I a part of the the trouble here? And how do I inter, how do I pollute the air that I then breathe? So that's very, very valuable at the same time that sometimes it is no longer right to stay with somebody, right? Even if, but oftentimes as we are getting clearer about ourselves, we may know that a, we become more clear of what a marriage is capable of or not capable of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that I've also realized and, and am continuing to realize is those parts where we were colluding, those mm. parts where we weren't talking about the disconnects. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you're going through a separation and divorce, it's very front and center, isn't it? Of mm. those parts that you were disconnected. Yeah. And right. so as I've had to just sit with that disconnect and just be very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. I came to see more clearly like my part in all of this yeah. and what came for me. And, and I'm just curious to know what your thought is, is that as we are becoming, as one becomes more and more clear about those disconnections mm-hmm. and really stepping into facing them. Mm-hmm. How does, let me see if I can try and word, how does that internal clarity shown outward behavior wise? Does that make sense? Like in your brain, you're probably Mm -hmm. seeing your client and they're starting to make connections and they're starting to see how they were, they were part of this dance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how they were not being differentiated. And so when they're making that connection, do you start to see a shift in behavior? Do you start to see a shift in attitude? And for sure is- you do. You do. It, you know, you just start to see people are just thinking differently about who they are and what they will accept from themselves, you know? So, you know, just what you were saying about, you know, your spouse and kind of like, why aren't you praising me? I just, as an example of this, when I first got married, I was like, in our family, we all said what we loved about the person whose birthday it was. My family was much more expressive. My husband's family was is not very expressive, right? They're 
my family at the wedding dinner is like crying and just spontaneously saying all these things. And John's family has prepared notes, you know, it's just <laughs> very, very different stylistically. Well, of course, I'm married to John now and I want him to behave like my family, just do it mm. my family's way. And yeah. I was handling it much the same way you talked about, which is what's wrong with you? Like, do you love me or not love me? Like, why aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, fortunately, I think, you know, I just started waking up to how entitled I was being. And look, I didn't marry yeah. somebody that was like me. I married somebody that was different than me. And I just got more clear, like, now this is different. Not This isn't always the case for people because this wasn't about him withholding this wasn't about him trying to, that he didn't care about me. It's that I wanted validation in the way I wanted it, which was high praise. Okay. And yeah. he just wasn't there for it. It wasn't his style. It wasn't how he thought. And so I had to recognize I'm being a brat, you know, I'm being immature. I'm being entitled. <laughs> and <gasps> why do I, why is my way the right way? So it was yeah. kind of self-confronting that it was me getting sobered up a little bit within myself and saying like, I'm not going to ask him to live in my, you know, to reinforce me. It's just not loving. It's not fair any more yeah. than I would want him to tell me to stop being emotional and expressive, you know? Uh, so let him be who he is. I can feel that he loves me. I mean, that took some self-regulation because I wanted it in the way I wanted it yeah. rather than knowing that watching this person, I can see he's invested in my well-being and he cares about me, even though it doesn't necessarily come in the form that I most like. And so it, it just changed my behavior because I was pushing myself to grow up. I wanted to respect my own behavior more. And I didn't respect the childishness in me that I could see. Yeah. And so it and just shows was... up differently, right? It doesn't mean that I don't yeah. still like that. You know, yes, I like that, but that is, but I, entitled around it is different. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And it took, oh, it took a lot of bravery to admit how entitled I was. Yeah. And, and I think it's very human, but to get to that point where you accept that, okay, I have been an entitled brat. Now, what yes. am I going to do? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot of, this is a differentiation thing too, is to forgive yourself. It's not easy, you know, to be like, it's just, we can bring our perfectionism. Like I should have known that. Why was I such an idiot? How could I have not? Um, but most of us don't know how to be more mature until we've spent some time being immature. That is, we kind of have to go through it and pay the price for some of our immaturities to be able to better understand it on the other side. And we can beat ourselves up that we should have somehow known, but I don't think it's particularly honest of us to do that. I don't think it's particularly fair of us to do that to ourselves. And in a way to tolerate that life, that often we don't learn lessons until we've lived them and then can see better and to, you know, do our best to pick up and to move on. And I think forgiving others is also often a part of the same differentiation process. Yeah. And, and I have to agree with you when you said that we have a choice to say, yes, I should have known, or I should have done better. But like you said, in all honesty, we just didn't. That's right. And something that helped me to get to that part of showing grace and forgiveness for myself is to realize 
the nature of God. Like he's mm-hmm. not up there shooting right. me. Like you should know how exactly. to do this. You sh- I already gave you everything. You should not have acted that way. Like he's right. not saying that. He's, I think a more generous God, a more loving right. God, a more understanding God of our limitations right. as humans. And if he is forgiving us, right? you know, can I step into full honesty and forgive myself? Exactly. Yeah. And, and exactly. And exactly. So perfectionism and control, because we, the reason why we can be perfectionistic is we imagine it will give us control that we won't have to live in negative consequences, yes. right? That we won't, we can keep everybody thinking we're above the human condition, right? That we can get the love we want because everybody sees us as without flaw. And so it's, it's a, it's an intuitive desire, but it's a, it's not a desire that's sustainable in the human condition. And so oftentimes what forgiving is, is to tolerate living life on life's terms and that everyone else must do it, right? That yeah. that everyone is walking along this path in an imperfectly, in an imperfect world, and we hurt each other sometimes and we get hurt. And so it's, it doesn't mean you should go blind to people or that you should trust people who are not trustworthy or any of those things, or that you shouldn't learn from your mistakes, but in some ways to be gentle with ourselves about the fact that we are, that life is tough, that it's tough. And even when we're trying to do it as wisely as possible, we are still going to have blind spots and missteps, some well-intentioned, some ill-intentioned but it's a part of being human and sorting out how we are, who we are and how to live life, life well. And so to forgive that fact, like even forgive God for putting us on this planet in that reality um, yeah. and to forgive ourselves for not, for being imperfect in doing it. That's the whole reality. That's the deal. And yeah. so, but that takes some, I think, awareness and some perspective that we often don't have when we're very caught in our own ego and our own experience. So, yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, and for me, I think part of the, the journey of differentiation, and I don't know what you think about this, but I think that the journey of differentiation, like never ends. I think it's always a continual learning about yourself and your sense of self. But once I began to really embrace that, I was not perfect and above other people, <laughs> Like, I'm like, really, are you sure about that? (laughs) But once I came to that realization of my own flaws and faults, um, not as a means of beating myself up, but just that this is the human condition, the human experience. That's when I began to really embrace my spouse's humanness. Yeah, exactly. And where he got it wrong too, but not using that as, as a tool against him, but just, I think a, 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 really entered into my heart, a greater level of compassion that I, I didn't think I would ever have felt for him. Mm. Like, I didn't think that would ever happen. Yeah. Yeah. And that definitely helped with the forgiveness part where I, I remember a couple of times where I just felt so compelled by the spirit, just because I think that God knew where I was and I was prepared to take these steps of asking for forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. And yes. so I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's like if we see the way another person hurts us or disappoints us and we take it all personally, it's very hard to forgive because basically 
their missteps, their lack of love, whatever is like a, a direct reflection on us. And so if yeah. we think their missteps are, are a kind of judgment against, against our worthiness, right? We're going to hold resentment as a way of trying to preserve our dignity. And it's very intuitive, but not actually what allows us to be free. And forgiveness is not about, oh, you have to like trust people that are untrustworthy or you have to like not have feelings of anger. A lot of times people, I think, misunderstand forgiveness. I think yeah. what it ultimately is, is what you're pointing towards, which is more perspective, you know, perspective on the human condition, perspective on our own fallibility and the fallibility of others, even when it, it hurts us. And can we forgive that fact? even though it hurts, even though that meant we suffered loss, can we tolerate that that's what it is to be human and find our dignity, hold on to it and move, learn from it all and move forward? I think that's really when we find that kind of bittersweetness, that, that beauty that's in life in the face of pain. Yeah. And so, and so do you think that it's possible for someone who, um, is going through a separation and divorce to, to have a good relationship. Now, when I say that, I also believe that, that relationships can be some, can be like our own mental construct, meaning mm -hmm. that I can choose to believe that I have a good relationship with, with my separated spouse, mm -hmm. okay. um, because it's because of how I'm thinking about him, mm -hmm. of how I'm conducting myself yes. with him. And yet he doesn't have to believe the same way. He can, he can, he can believe I have no relationship with her. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like what I'm yes, asking? People, well, I'll go back to the question now, because I agree with what you're saying that people um, can kind of have their own view of how they're in relationship to the other. Yes. And um, they can both be truthful in a sense. Um, because there is an element of it that is unilateral. Like I can respect how I'm in relation to this person and I feel good about this person, even if they aren't doing the same, yeah. but go back to your question then. Yeah. So the question is, does it require two people to think the same way, to act the same way, to feel like you have a good ex-spousal relationship, or can it be you choosing that you have a good relationship because of how you're showing up in the yeah. relationship? I mean, yes, I, yes, on some level, yes. I mean, I think I, how I might say it to myself is I feel good about how I'm relating to my ex-spouse and I feel, you know, I forgive him for what the marriage couldn't be or wasn't. And I respect how I relate to him and I'm not going to try and control how he thinks about us, but I... Yeah. I will be a person that I feel, you know, that I can respect how I relate to him. For sure, you can do that. Okay. And so if someone who is going through a separation and divorce and they, they're listening to this podcast and listening to what you're saying, and they see the wisdom and understand the wisdom of beginning the process of differentiation, mm -hmm. how would you, what would you say to this person? Like what would be the yeah. first question or the first step? Good. Well, I think the question I might be focused on is, um, first of all, you don't need to try to not feel pain or not feel what you feel. Like you're going to feel what you feel and it's going to have lots of feelings of 
loss, anger, uh, resentment, self-justification, self-loathing. There's going to be a lot of those. Yeah. Um, but I think the question that I might be asking myself is what can I learn from what has happened? Okay. What can I learn about myself? What can I learn about my partner? What can I learn about this relationship? What I would be careful about is trying to get other people to back up narratives that you feel very invested in having others believe. And what I mean by that is often in divorce, it's complex and it's messy and there's culpability yeah. on both sides. And it's really easy to want to paint a narrative or tell a story of one bad, one good. And a lot of people want to believe that idea. I'm friends with a good one. She's divorcing the bad one, you know? I mean, yeah. And we can easily kind of fall into these simple-minded stories that kind of feel good and feel like they can be vindicating, but they keep us from holding the complexity and our role in the marriage. Now, of course, that's different than then saying, well, I'm responsible for all of it. And if I were just to done A, B, and C more, we wouldn't be getting, because that's also devoid of the true complexity, probably. Yes. And so you want to be pushing yourself to be as honest with yourself as you can about who you are and about who your spouse is or your soon-to-be ex-spouse is, how you contributed to the difficulty and how your ex-spouse did. And to get the input of wise others, right? Not people that just reinforce your ego or, you know, who say mean things to you about it, but somebody who has some perspective to help you see yourself and your partner more clearly because this is the kind of information that helps you grow up, helps you learn to be more at peace in your own skin because you're not running from aspects of yourself. Yeah. And if you desire at some point, helps you choose more wisely or choose someone and engage in that relationship differently uh, because you've grown up and learned from your first significant relationship. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on that one. All right. Well, um, just before, as we're wrapping up now, just share with my people where they can find you principles and tools and teachings. Sure. So the best place to go is to my website, which is finlayson-fife.com. And on there, there are at least, you know, three category, well, four categories of resources. But the first is just, if you want to listen to more conversations like this, just conversations with Dr. Jennifer, where I'm talking to different people. And then room for two is a subscription podcast where I'm working with real couples on relationship issues, issues in the marriage, issues in the sexual relationship and so on. And then I have five online courses that have to do with self and sexual development and how to be capable of an emotionally and sexually intimate marriage. So those courses are there to, you can learn more about them on the website. And then finally, I do live events like you talked about here. So those are really the content of the courses, but taken on the road or taken to, you know, a, an event venue. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time and to My having pleasure. a conversation with me and to talking about how we can still build 
great relationships, even going through a separation and divorce. And one of the resources that she provides is the uh, podcast subscription only called Room for Two. It has been I cannot tell you how many, actually all of them. I've listened to all, almost all of them. I always learn something about myself. Sometimes in really uncomfortable ways where I have to actually step away for several days <laughs> and just like, just like marinate in it. Yeah. And then I can come back and then listen yeah. to it again. Good. But it's that powerful. And I know that I'm part of your Facebook group, um, Ask a... LDS marriage LDS. and sexuality therapist. Yes, yes that is so good. And I cannot tell you how many times I'm like, have you looked into this subscription that she has called room for two? Cause I think this will help you. Yeah, and yeah. so since I, I love that, that subscription so much, I want to gift a year of a year subscription to one of our listeners, oh. um, whether it's on one of yours listeners on your podcast or mine. Great. And as I was talking to Christy and just about how to do this, um, we decided that we're going to do it on Instagram and for one of our listeners to listen to the podcast and to make a comment as to something that they've learned. So uh, maybe they have a question about differentiation or a question about going through separation and divorce. And this podcast will come out on a Monday um, and I'll have all of that information and out. We'll give them five days to respond and then I will choose one and Great. gift that listener a year subscription just because Great. I love it. I love it so much. So, <laughs> so again, so thank glad. you. Yeah, you're so welcome. Yeah. yeah, wonderful idea. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.